Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. So last week, it's no secret, it was very underwhelming. All right. That wild card weekend, I was very excited for it. Although the matchups didn't really seem extremely interesting, I was hoping for a better week than what we got, to say the least. A lot of those games were shutouts. I believe four out of the six were shutouts. And the other two were ruined by at least one controversial call or blown whistle or whatever. Just controversy ruined the other two. So it wasn't a very good week of football, all right? But this week, the divisional round completely made up for it, completely. And I said that last week. The divisional round matchups looked really, really good, and it looked like we were going to have a great, spectacular week of football. And I I was damn right. I didn't expect it to be that good, though. That might have been the best week of football that I've ever seen. We went from an extremely underwhelming wildcard weekend to, uh, yet again, probably the best week of football I've ever seen. The best one I remember. Uh, I mean, three out of the four games ended in a game-winning field goal by the underdog on the road. Uh, And then the last one was absolutely crazy. I mean, that Chiefs and Bills game was, that was the best divisional round game a lot of people are saying ever, and it definitely was the best in my lifetime. It was just two absolute titans of the game, just sucker punching each other for a full 60 minutes, and then we got overtime on top of that. It was amazing to watch. And I think the most fascinating thing about this is that both of these defenses were supposed to be. And, I mean, they are, but they sure as hell didn't look like it in the game. Both of these defenses are top 10 in a lot of statistical categories. And when you rank the top 10 defenses in the league, most people would have both of these defenses in the top 10. And if you don't have the Chiefs in your top 10, they're at least an honorable mention. They're at least 11, right? Did they look like it in that game? No. But these defenses were both supposed to be really good. And they are both really good defenses. They just couldn't compete with how much offensive talent the other team has. The Chiefs defense allowed 364 points in the regular season, which is 21.4 per game, and that's 8th in the league. Yet, Josh Allen went 27 for 37 with 329 yards, 4 touchdowns, and 11 rushes for 68 yards. The Bills defense... 289 points allowed all year in the regular season. 17 points per game, first in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes' stat line in this game. 33 for 44, 
378 yards and three touchdowns with seven rushes, 69 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown. By the way, Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher in the entire NFL this week. And you know who was second? Josh Allen. Not just quarterbacks. Keep that in mind. I'm not just talking about quarterbacks. I'm talking about running backs. I mean, I guess receivers with Debo Samuel. And quarterbacks on top of that. The two leading rushers in the NFL this week were quarterbacks playing against two top 10 defenses in the same game. This was an insane game. This was crazy. All right? I mean, there's one thing. There's two major things that really got put on display that don't really... I mean, they kind of affect the Bills, but these are like the two main takeaways that other AFC teams that were watching this game noticed, right? Or just other NFL teams, really. This game really put into perspective how much defense needs to be revolutionized. Now, I'm not saying... Oh, the team the way teams are playing defense is just wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But you look at how NFL offenses have evolved recently, right? I mean, of course you got the rapid rise in eleven personnel. And you have, you know, just way more passing. RPOs are our main example. Motion, just a lot of huge changes to the way that offense works now. As a as opposed to defense, you look. When was the last time there was like a major change on how defenses are ran around among the league? Tell me that, right? I mean, you look in the past decade, motion is being used completely differently, and way more often. Like I said, eleven personnel is way more common. RPOs are a very new concept that are used all across the league. But there hasn't been the defense evolving to play against these schemes. So while offenses are evolving rapidly, it seems like every other year there's like a new way to run an offense. The defenses aren't really changing much, it seems like. That's why I was so happy when Staley became a head coach because it seemed like he finally found a way to run a defense that was so different. And it really seemed like it would work against these 11 personnel heavy RPO crazy motion kind of stuff. These new modern era offenses. It looked like Brandon Staley finally brought in a new way to run a defense that will work against the modern era offenses problem is, and I mean it really was evident in this season with the Chargers when he was their head coach, and he still is their head coach, I don't know why I said was, you need to have a very good group of players to be able to run the defense that Staley wants to run. It only works if you have an Aaron Donald, if you have a John Johnson, Jalen Ramsey. It only works that way. It's not going to work if you, I mean, Aaron Donald was really like the big name and like, that's the big thing they need. They need someone like that or any team that wants to run the Brandon Staley defense, any team that wants to run the 
that type of defense needs to get not just a good defensive tackle. They need to get, like, a great one. Jerry Tillery didn't cut it this year. That's obvious. Very clear. They need, like, a Grady Jarrett, like a Kenny Clark. Like, something like that. They need, or any team that wants to run these types of defenses, they need the top-notch players in the defensive front. And I'm not talking about, like, a Joey Bosa, because that's an edge. I'm talking about someone that could very that could single-handedly defend the run all by himself, that you could consistently have two-gap, and you have to think, oh, he'll be able to two-gap sometimes. No, he'll be able to do it extremely consistently. That's why Staley's defense works so well on the Rams, and that's why it doesn't work so well now on the Chargers, because he doesn't have an Aaron Donald. Because the way that defense works, and the way that defensive front works, and that formation, the, the Brandon Staley defensive scheme is... We're going to line up in nickel every play. We're going to have two high safeties. Our safety isn't coming into the box. And we're just going to have a six-man box every single play. Or almost every play. That was their scheme. And, I mean, it worked with the Rams because, like I said, they had Aaron Donald. Someone that was worth an extra defender in the box. So you could keep a safety like John Johnson up high. And he won't have to bring someone into the box. So it worked well in L.A., but now on the other L.A. team, on the Chargers, it didn't work because they didn't have a Jerry Tillery. And you saw a lot of other teams try and do this. Some teams it worked. Some teams it didn't. Did any teams run it much like – did any other teams run it like Staley, exactly like Staley, and run it as consistently as Staley? No, because they're scared to, because they don't have an Aaron Donald. But – I, I do think that that was the closest thing we've gotten to, like, a revolutionary concept on defense. And I think some new defensive guru, I don't know who it's going to be. We're going to need some type of defensive guru, some really smart defensive mind, to come into this league and be like, all right, there's quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that could score literally in seconds. And, you know, they're coming, they're getting under constant pressure and they're throwing the ball into incredibly tight windows, making these unreal throws. You're not going to be able to beat them with just simple cover three anymore. You're not going to be able to beat them with like cover two man out of a four, three front. You're not going to be able to beat them with creative blitzes because let's be honest, Mahomes and Josh Allen and like some of these quarterbacks, I don't want to say that they're unaffected by pressure, but they're making these throws with like five people in their face. Like it, of course it matters, but it doesn't really matter that much or it doesn't really have the impact that it used to have on like a Drew Brees, on a Tom Brady, on a Ben Roethlisberger. Because their ability to like extend plays and escape is just unreal. It's unheard of. It's something that never existed in the league before now. So defenses are really going to have to change. They're going to really have to evolve. All right? Because what they're doing right now, it works against your, you know, Ryan Tannehills and your Carson Wentz and your, you know, those guys that, you know, they're, they're pretty good. 
but they're not game-breaking. And I mean, even the other quarterbacks that used to be considered elite, that used to be considered the best of the league, they, like, they broke defenses. Don't get me wrong. But Mahomes and Josh Allen, they're doing it on like a every play basis. And, you know, there's other quarterbacks too. Justin Herbert. Lamar Jackson, like, these guys are doing insane things that are really going to have to make defenses need to evolve, need to, in order to keep up. Now, the other major thing that, especially AFC teams, are going to have to notice after watching this game. If if you're a team in the AFC, you cannot expend, you cannot expect to be able to win a Super Bowl if you're any of these teams, Patriots, Dolphins, kind of the Jets, it's hard to tell right now, Broncos, Steelers, Browns, Titans, and we'll, we'll get to talking about why the Titans are here, Colts, and maybe the Texans. It's hard to tell how that situation is going. Unless you have one of those elite talents at quarterback, you're not going to be able to beat the Bills. You're not going to be able to beat the Chiefs, Chargers, those teams in the playoffs. Not happening. Not happening. If you're any of those teams, your quarterback either needs to severely improve or you need to get a new one. The only the only teams I listed that I think are like a little bit arguable, Jets, I like Zach Wilson. And I think he definitely has the talent to be one of, like, the NFL's game-breaking quarterbacks. But I, I it's kind of hard to tell if, like, he's going to be that guy. I expect him to, but it's not set in stone yet. The Titans, they're, they're, it's close with them. It's tough with them. But after seeing how Ryan Tannehill played, maybe it was just a fluke performance, but I don't think he's one of those elite talent guys. And the Texans, will, I don't know if they're getting rid of Deshaun Watson. If they keep Deshaun Watson, I mean, the rest of the team sucks. But, you know, at least you got the quarterback. You can't expect to be the team like the Bills, Chiefs, Chargers after this this offseason. They're going to be, after this offseason, they're going to be much better. They're going to make some huge additions, I'm telling you now. They have the cash space to do it. And I think that they're, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a trade like trade away their second round pick, third round pick for like a really good run stopping defensive lineman wouldn't surprise me at all. But my my point is you cannot expect to be able to go toe to toe with Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes without a, a high level quarterback that can make all the throws because they're able to score at will. And until that huge defensive change that I mean, I was talking about earlier, until and even if that happens, you're going to have to need one of those high-tier guys that can make all the throws, no matter how many defenders are in his face or what he has to do or if he has to throw the ball across his body 40 yards down the field with five defenders chasing him after he stiff-arms a defensive tackle that's twice his size. 
it's insane, but that's what you have to be able to expect your quarterback to do to contend in the AFC, which, yeah, I know it's a really high bar, but you're going to be fighting Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. I keep naming these same guys, but like they're the standard now. And they're able to do it so consistently that you can't just bank on, oh, we'll, we'll just pray he has a bad game because they're in the playoffs, they're so consistent with it. So I'm going to shift my focus back towards what happened in the game, especially the last, let's say, half hour of the game. Because, I mean, it was insanity. It was insane what happened. I mean, 25 points scored in the last two minutes? Of course, I'm talking about in-game time with the last two minutes. But, I mean, it was just, oh my god. The entire game was kind of like that, but especially the last two minutes. The final score of regulation was a game-tying field goal on a drive that began with 13 seconds in the fourth quarter. A lot of people are arguing about the way that the Bills executed the kick. They kicked it, instead of kicking like a mortar kick is what they call it, when it just goes straight up, takes a lot of time in the air, has a lot of air time, you know, forces the clock to run a little bit, and then lands, but... You know, you're not getting a lot of distance with it. You're getting most of the powers going towards hitting it to the sky. And then what other people want them to do, they're saying a squib. I disagree. I don't really think a squib would be the way to go. But I think the Bills did the worst of all those options. Even just kicking it normally. I think the... She, or sorry, the Bills did the worst of all of those options. They kicked it out of the back of the end zone. Now, I would, I understand the concern, right? You're worried about, you know, like a kick return touchdown. Yeah, whatever. Do you have that little faith in your special teams? I mean, the Bills have a solid special teams unit. They shouldn't be too worried about that. And I get it. Tyreek Hill is a dangerous returner. And so is McCall Hardman, but neither of those two were back to return the kick. It was Byron Pringle, who I'm not overly worried about returning a field goal on me. Or sorry, returning a kick on me. I'm not worried about that at all. The Bills have a good special teams unit. They should be able to stop a... Now, Byron Pringle isn't a bad kick returner, but... They should be able to stop him. He's around the league average. He's not overly electric. He's the third most most concerning guy. Maybe even fourth if you're willing to put Jarek McKinnon back there. I, I mean, I don't understand it. You would have been able to use a lot more time off the clock if you kicked a mortar kick. And yeah, yet again, the worry about him returning the kick. But I wouldn't be too worried about Byron Pringle of all people. The Bills special teams unit is good enough. Personally, I don't get it. And I see why a lot of people are mad about it. A squib, I understand that. But I think that's more if you're trying to 
ice the game when you have the lead. Uh, I I think a mortar kick would be the way to go. I don't really think that that's too much of a debate. I don't understand what the Bills were thinking, in all honesty. Doesn't really make sense to me. Doesn't really. And the other thing that everyone's talking about, the overtime rule. And there's some people that support it. I do not understand those people whatsoever. And most people, not most people, I, I think it actually is split around 50-50. But the people that think it, the overtime rules should change, I like to call those people correct. I don't even think like it's an argument of opinion at this point. If you're going to tell me that you think the Bills deserve to lose that game because their defense wasn't playing well. There's a thing called double standards, right? You see, the Chiefs also would have lost that game if the Bills got the ball first because neither defense could stop the other offense at all. Because of that, the game was literally decided by a coin flip. I don't want to say it wasn't 100% chance, but I would say that there was like a 95% chance if the Bills won the coin flip, they were going to score. But they didn't win the coin flip, so they don't deserve to move on in the playoffs. Playoffs. It's not regular season. They're, with their season on the line, they lost the game because they chose tails instead of heads. Does that sound right? Yeah, their defense was playing poorly. Yeah, I get that. But so was the Chiefs. So it was literally decided by a coin flip. I... I I hate it. I, I hate it so much. If it were up to me, this is my idea. And I've heard multiple people pitch multiple different ideas for it. And I don't even know why I'm pitching my idea because I know Roger Goodell isn't going to listen to this. They're probably going to s- install some new way of doing overtime that's way more fancy or whatever. I, I don't know. And I hope that they pick the right one. I know it's definitely going to change. They, so many people have complained about it. It's definitely going to change. But the way I think they should do it, it should be not sudden death overtime, ten minute, an extra 10-minute quarter. If one team, So let's say the Bills get the ball first. Bills get the ball first, they score a touchdown. Now, the Chiefs get the ball back. And, you know, the Bills kick the extra point. Yeah, they score. Chiefs get the ball back. They can't kick a field goal. They have to score another touchdown. And it keeps working like that for 10 minutes on the game clock. And if that 10 minutes runs out and it's still a tie game, now, of course, you're not just going to add more time after that because the defense is eventually going to get hurt and there's a huge risk for injury. Yeah, I get that. So what I think they should do, if the 10 minutes runs out and it's a tie game, then they should... Do field goals. 
Start from like, I don't know, the 30. Boom, field goal. Other team, boom, field goal. Okay, now you're moving back five. They move back five. They move back five. And then eventually, once they get to, I don't know, the 60. Or, you know, no, it should keep going. But eventually, like, yeah, the 60. We'll go with the 60. If they, if one kicker misses on the 60, and then the other kicker misses on the 60, then they move, then they both move five yards up. Then they both make it. It's, it'll keep going until one eventually misses a kick, which is inevitable. I mean, these kickers are here to decide games, are they not? Special teams, so many people consider it a small unit of the game, which make it have a bigger impact. Decide overtime with it. Hell, I'd be fine with them removing the 10-minute extra quarter that I was just talking about earlier and instead just doing that right away. I'm fine with special teams determining the game. Like, a lot of people complain about that, and I think a lot of people would complain if they do exactly what I'm saying. But I think it's the right approach. I would love it. I mean, you have... They're part of the game to determine the outcome, are they not? I think that this makes teams more willing to pay kickers big money. And it makes teams see... And it makes fans see kickers as more of players. As opposed to just, oh, if you miss a kick, you're bad. If you miss a kick, you just didn't do your job. Which, I mean, I guess that's true. They do get paid to make the kicks. But my point is, I want I want players like Justin Tucker, these really good kickers like Tyler Bass, these guys that are actually really good at it, I want teams to start winning games because their kicker is so good. And yeah, a lot of the time they do, but I feel like it would be a great way of determining a the outcome of a game that would be a tie without risking players getting hurt. I think it would be perfect, really. So, I mean, that game is so good. I could literally go on for an hour about it, but I got to talk about the other games, which were also spectacular. The Rams dominated the Buccaneers for the first half of this game. And they showed how dominant they can be. The problem is, and it's been a problem for them for a while, they overshadow great play with horrible mistakes. That is this Rams team in one sentence. Overshadowing great plays and just overall great play with terrible mistakes. That's this team. Three fumbles and a bot snap in the second half. But the Rams' D stayed resilient. Von Miller had a phenomenal performance, constantly getting pressure on Brady, who nearly led the Buccaneers to a unbelievable come-from-behind victory. Stafford remains one of the clutchest quarterbacks of the last decade and reminded everyone why he has that title in a amazing drive with very little time left on the clock in order to win them the game. 
and a lot of people are mad at Todd Bowles' decision to blitz on that play, and I agree. I completely agree. I don't understand why so many defenders are willing to get all fancy, or defensive coordinators are willing to get so fancy with, you know, oh, there's eight seconds left in the game. There's 16 seconds left in the game. You know what we got to do? We got to we gotta send a zero blitz at them. That's the call. That's always been Todd Bowles' MO. That's always been his tendency. He likes to blitz. He likes to get pressure on the quarterback. But it comes to a point where, like, I mean, you gotta, you gotta restrict yourself a little bit. Okay? Like, yeah, being a blitz-heavy team, that's fine. I love it. I love it. Getting pressure on a quarterback, that's a great way to run your defense. And if you could do it consistently, you're going to win a lot of games. But when there is less than 30 seconds left and the other team has no timeouts and you know that they're just going to chuck the ball deep, why would you not just run a simple like cover three, cover four? Just a prevent defense, something like that. Keep your defenders on the sideline. I mean, no reason to blitz. No reason to make the throw easier for them. Right? And I, I get the thought process. Oh, if we blitz him and the presser gets in his face fast enough, he won't have enough time for his receiver to get deep down the field. The problem is, Cooper Cup is a great receiver. Odell Beckham is a great receiver. You give Cooper Cup one-on-one coverage with a run-support safety, you are not... You're not going to stop him. He's going to catch a touchdown. Or catch a very long ball to put them in field goal position to win the game. Like, that was just a stupid decision by Todd Bowles. But anyway, right, I I think most people agree. Stupid call. Still, though, the Buccaneers, they deserve a little bit of credit for almost running that game back. It wasn't mostly the Rams self-imploding, absolutely. But still, you got to give them credit where it's due. You have to absolutely dominate a team to win in a game where you fumbled four times. Especially in the playoffs. Yes, the Buccaneers were lucky with getting those fumbles, but Brady deserves a lot of credit for keeping this game close. Especially because he was under constant pressure. Like, not just Von Miller. Aaron Donald was getting in his face. Leonard Floyd had a good game. Like, just pressure from everywhere. He didn't... Tom Brady had to run a little bit. Which, he's not great at it, but he was forced to do a little bit of movement in that pocket. Because if he didn't, he was going to get creamed every play. And it doesn't help him that his offensive line was wrecked by injury against a elite defensive line. His weapons weren't great either. Gronk and Evans were the only two above-average weapons that Brady had. And... Frankly, I know Brady. A lot of people are talking about Tom Brady 
you know, retiring. He's not going to retire. He'll retire when... He'll retire when people stop doubting him. Which, you'd be surprised by how people still doubt him. He'll be... He'll retire when he has 20 rings. How's that? I mean, he's not retiring anytime soon. I, I don't believe it. I can't... I've gotten so used to hearing, oh, Tom Brady's going to retire this year, that I'm just used to saying, no, he's not. He really just isn't. <laughs> it's not happening. Ever. He he will never retire. He'll find a way. I don't know what it's going to be. He's going to find, like, some type of new medication. Going to get, like, a robot arm or something. Just... Anything to make sure he could play in the league for a hundred years, win eighty Super Bowls, make it to ninety. Like, and what sucks is that the only way to knock him out of the playoffs is, even while he's forty-four, the only way to knock him out of the playoffs is when his team is all banged up like this, or if you're Eli Manning, that also helps. But now that he's out of the league, there he doesn't have his kryptonite. It's just. Tom Brady's damn good, okay? And I'm not expecting him to retire because he's still one of the top quarterbacks in this league. And I I just, I don't think he's going to retire with his last play being in a losing game. You know, that just doesn't sound right. I think when Brady retires, it's going to be he gets injured or something. Either an injury or after he wins a Super Bowl. I, I think he could de- definitely do it after he wins a Super Bowl. Absolutely. But, I, I mean, hey, for the Rams, this was a good win for them. Absolutely. Did they play sloppy? Yes. But they just proved how dominant they are. They are such a good team that they can win despite playing super sloppy. And they've been doing it all year. This is the sloppiest game you will see the Rams play, and I'm glad they got the mistakes out now. Does that mean that they're going to be completely mistake-free for the rest of the playoffs? No. But they're not going to botch a snap again. Which, by the way, that botch snap was definitely because the Buccaneers had home field. The Rams have home field this upcoming week and the week after that. Because remember, the Super Bowl's in L.A., and why do I say, why am I completely blaming the botch snap on home field or being away? That now I wouldn't know because I wasn't in the huddle, I wasn't with the team, obviously. But it looked like that botch snap happened because of the silent count. They were in shotgun silent count. Normally, when you're silent count, uh, if you're under center and you're doing silent count, at least. The quarterback will kind of like slap you, or like he'll move your, he'll move his hand, or like I want to say his wrist will like hit the center in the back, like the ass, kind of. Or it, it sometimes it might just be a pat in the ass. All I know is somehow the hand makes contact with the center's ass, and the center's all like, "Okay, now that I feel that, I'm gonna snap the ball." But that's only under center. When the team is in shotgun. It's really easy to mess that up. Really easy. And, I, I mean, it happened. And they almost lost because of that. 
But they're not going to have to deal with that is my point. Because, like I said, they're playing against the 49ers. They have home field advantage. And then the Super Bowl, if they even make it, it's in L.A. So that's not a, that's not a problem they're going to have to deal with after this. So, yeah, I mean, that really helps them. So let's move over to the 49ers playing as the Packers. Yes, the special teams lost lost the Packers again. I get that. I un- I completely understand it. But a lot of the blame, and I'm surprised I haven't seen any blame whatsoever on them. A lot of the blame should be on the Packers offense. Especially or not especially, but part of that Packers offense is Aaron Rodgers. I'm surprised I haven't seen a single person be like Aaron Rodgers plays poorly again in the playoffs. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a poor performance, but it wasn't outstanding. It wasn't good enough. I mean, 10 points in a playoff game. If you're a quarterback on a team that put up 10 points in a playoff game, you should be embarrassed. You should. Especially after all this talk, like, oh, the Packers are holding me back. How about you do something to elevate the team instead of just complaining about it all the time? Jesus Christ. Sick of hearing about it. And it's going to be the story of the entire offseason again. That's the annoying thing. After you hear this egotistical maniac complain for the entire offseason, oh, the the GM did nothing to help me out. The GM did did nothing to make sure that I can win another Super Bowl. That's why I keep losing in the playoffs. No, you're – or you know what? Maybe. Maybe you're not getting surrounded by the best situation, all right? But, I mean, you have the best receiver in football. You should be scoring more than 10 points. I Yeah, the 49ers defense is good. Yeah, the weather was bad. Yeah, you don't have all the weapons in the world. I get it. The offensive line was injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. But 10 points in a playoff game? Are you kidding me? His inability to win games or win his team games in the playoffs has been a reoccurring theme throughout his entire career. And that's the exact reason I could never call him the GOAT, and I don't understand how someone else can. Because, oh, maybe, wins are a team stat. Yeah, I get, I get that, I get that. But you look at, I'm comparing him to Tom Brady because that's what you guys want to do. You all, not all of you, but the, the Aaron Rodgers are the GOAT type of people. Those people are the ones throwing him in the same conversation as Tom Brady. All right? So, let's compare him to Brady for a little bit, all right? How many times has Brady elevated his team and been the reason that the team made a Super Bowl? Won a Super Bowl? A couple of times. I'm telling you that much. Rodgers won one Super Bowl, and that was with a pretty damn good team around him. And yes, he he was a star for that team, and he was like one of the main reasons that they won, and that's great. That's great. But, I mean, Brady has seven. And yeah, you know, you want to take away the one against the Rams where he didn't do that well, fine. You want to take away, I don't know, what other ones do you want to take away? You want to take away the... First two, because that was early in his career, and, you know, 
the team wasn't overly great. It was just a defensive team. Fine. Take a, take away three of them. He still has four. That's still tied for the most Super Bowl wins by a quarterback or by any player in NFL history. You understand that, right? If you put Aaron Rodgers in that 28-3 scenario in Super Bowl 51, he's going to complain that he doesn't have enough weapons. He's going to complain that, oh, all I have is Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, and Chris Hogan. How could how could how do you expect me to win? But then you put Brady in that scenario, and he wins the game and leads the best comeback in NFL history. That's the difference between those two. While Brady is out winning his team games, and yes, he is a big reason that the, his team wins games. Rodgers is complaining about his team not being good enough to win games by themselves. Brady did, and now I'm just going to talk about this year. I'm not going to talk about history, even though you all want to talk about him being the greatest of all time. And I'll admit, Rodgers is better than him right now, which is should be expected because Brady's in his mid-40s. Brady did more with a more banged-up offensive line against a better defense, in my opinion. Worse receivers, although it's pretty close, I guess, and a worse defensive performance and the only excuse that Rodgers has that Brady doesn't is the weather which yeah you know maybe that accounts for a little bit but not enough for you to put up 10 points in the playoffs while Brady is almost leaving leading a 27 to 3 comeback come on and yeah you know the ram the rams handed the Buccaneers the game, and they gave them a lot of opportunities to come back. But I mean, at least you could take advantage of them. What about the NFC Championship last year? Rodgers had all those opportunities, did nothing with them. A good quarterback can take advantage of them, at least. And yet again, it was a terrible scenario, a terrible situation for Brady because of all the injuries. Rodgers had some injuries on his team, too, yeah. And Rodgers is obviously the better quarterback right now. My point is that you see Brady elevating his team. And yet again, oh, the, the fumbles really helped him, yeah. But Rodgers, Rodgers got an interception from Jimmy Garoppolo, couldn't do anything with it. I mean, you take away a drive where he was just repeatedly throwing the ball to Devontae Adams... And then the, the Packers only scored three points. I mean, I want you to... If you look at the box score for that game, and yes, I also watched the game. I didn't just look at the box score. I know someone's going to accuse me of that because apparently that's the big thing to do. If you look at the box score for this game, Aaron Jones had nine catches. Devontae Adams had nine catches. And then no one else had more than one. Rodgers was just giving the ball to his talented people. And, I mean, it worked that one drive, but I don't know if you blame LaFleur. I don't know if you blame Nathaniel Hackett. I don't know who you blame for that. But, I mean, it didn't work. Rodgers wasn't out there 
elevating the players that aren't that great. He was just feeding the players that he knows are good. Which, I mean, can work, but you should be able to rely on your other guys at least a little bit more. Come on. Anyway, that's enough ranting about how much I hate Aaron Rodgers. And it sucks, too, because I actually really used to like the guy. And then he did all this stuff during the offseason. Now he's one of my least favorite players in the league. I, I mean, I have no respect for him doing that. But anyway, I already ranted for long enough about him. Let's talk about what the 49ers did well. Uh, I, I mean, their special teams was able to take advantage of the Packers special team sucking. So so that that <laughs> that's good, I guess. Uh, other than that, I mean, defensively. Pack 49ers played spectacularly. I mean, their defensive front kept getting in Rodgers' face, which is part of the reason he did not play all that well. And they took advantage of that banged up offensive line, especially the loss of Bakatari. I mean, I mean, they just kept trying to get pressure from the side that Bakatari would normally play on. And I, I mean, that's good coaching. That is what you're supposed to do when. The other team has a weakness. You just keep attacking it all day, every day, until it stops working. And that that's why the 49ers are in the NFC Championship, because of good coaching. And, of course, they have a great roster, too. Problem is, they are held back by the biggest liability out of any of these four teams. Jimmy Garoppolo. Whenever he holds the ball for more than two seconds in the pocket, something bad is going to happen. It's so clear. Like, if you don't see the ball go out of his hand the second he makes that first read, uh-oh. Just uh-oh. Because that's when, he, like, he throws a pick or just something stupid happens. I, I mean, Garoppolo is... It's not unpredictable. He's just bad. It's just, like, you think, like, oh, right here is the time he can't make a mistake. As long as he just makes, you know, the simple throw and then he misses it by five yards, lands directly in the defender's hands. A lot of the a lot of the times he has dropped interceptions because not even the defenders can expect him to miss that badly. Like Garoppolo is just a horrible quarterback. Not horrible. But it, you look at how talented this team is. And you look at how good they should be. And then you watch Garoppolo play, and you're like, damn, it really sucks that they're just not going to be able to win that many or go that far. But here they are. They're pretty far. They're not going to be able to win a Super Bowl with Garoppolo holding them back. And if they if they do, and we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, and I'm going to go over my predictions for the conference championship games, starting with the Bengals at Chiefs. I know I've been doubting the Bengals all playoffs, right? And every time I doubt them, or I've doubted them during the playoffs, they've proved me wrong. I said that they would lose to the Raiders, they beat them. I said that they would lose to the Titans, they beat them. But I I, I see a very little possibility that the Bengals leave this game with a win and find themselves on the path to a Super Bowl. I, I don't see that happening. I think the underdog glory story ends here. And I, I mean, it sucks because, 
I like the Bengals. I like a good underdog story, but I don't think that they're a good enough team to beat this Chiefs team that we just saw on Sunday night. Just They looked unbeatable. They looked unstoppable. The only thing that could have stopped them is if they got the wrong side of the coin. Like, they don't look like a team that the Bengals can beat. They just don't have the talent on the defensive side of the ball. And, yeah, they've been able to succeed a lot for the very little talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball. But, I mean, they need to have some bigger names than Logan Wilson, uh, DJ Reader. Like, you gotta have a name that's really flashy that you can't just scheme out. Because, yeah, Logan Wilson's having a breakout season. Eli Apple's looking pretty good, actually. Shadobia Wuzie is looking good. Jesse Bates is a good player. Like, he's one of the he's one of the guys that I'm talking about. I mean, I'm not talking about someone that's, like, underrated. I want someone that everyone knows is good because they're just that good. They don't have someone like that. I don't think that they, could ha- that they have anyone that can stop Tyreek Hill, that could stop Travis Kelsey. They don't. And even if they do, Mahomes is just such a playmaker. The only way that I could see them winning this game is if the Chiefs just get out to a just get off to a slow start, like they did against the Steelers in week one of the playoffs. And I don't think that that's gonna happen. I think that they know what they're getting in the Bengals. I mean, they lost to them earlier in the year. So it's I guess it's possible, but I, I don't see them doing that again. I think the I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. That's not what I'm saying. But I just don't see a world where the Bengals can win this game unless a lot of things land their way. Unless the Chiefs are very un unless the Chiefs are very out of character and have some stupid mistakes that I don't expect. I mean and then you look at the Bengals on the offensive side of the ball. Like, that's their strength, obviously. But the Chiefs' pass rush is going to feast on Burrow, just like the Titans did. I mean, Chris Jones is a monster. Frank Clark's a good player. Melvin Ingram's been good. Like, those guys are going to have a lot of sacks. I think at least five. At least. It wouldn't surprise me if they get nine, just like the Titans did. This is not a good offensive line, and I think that Steve Spagnuolo is a smart defensive coordinator. I think he knows, like, if I want to beat this team, I got to make sure that Burrow doesn't have time to throw the ball to one of these great receivers because, I, I mean, this is a great group of receivers, and it's not an overly great group of players in the secondary, especially if Tyron Matthew doesn't come back. Tyron Matthew doesn't come back. The, the odds of the uh, Bengals winning – that increases a lot, but I'm expecting Tyron Matthew to be healthy for this game. And, I mean, okay, let's say Tyron Matthew isn't there. I still think the pass rush is going to feast on them, but on Burrow. But I think Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, like, both of them are going to get a deep shot that goes all the way for a touchdown if Tyron Matthew isn't there. Because you look at how the Bills exploited the loss of Tyron Matthew. It wouldn't surprise me if the Bengals do the same exact thing. The only question is, can Burrow do what Josh Allen was doing all night on Sunday night, which was like breaking these tackles 
while the pocket collapses and rolling out and making these phenomenal throws. I don't think Burrow can do that is the thing. And I'm not doubting Burrow's ability. I think he's a very good quarterback. Do not get me wrong. I think Burrow is one of the game's elite. But I don't think he has the physical ability to make the plays that he's going to need to make under pressure in order to win. So I think the Bengals won't be able to slow down or they won't be able to stop the Chiefs offense. And I think the pass rush is just going to get in Burrow's face too much for them to be overly productive. So now let's move over to the 49ers against the Rams in L.A. Before I start, I just want to say that the Rams should win. Like, they should easily win this game. That being said, the 49ers have an extremely realistic chance at winning because of how sloppy the Rams can be. Stafford is bound to have a stupid pick sometime during the playoffs, and he hasn't done it yet. So I think it's bound to happen this week. But at the same time, I'm expecting the same thing. I expect the same thing from Garoppolo every time he throws the ball. So it kind of evens out, does it not? I mean, every pass play, I just expect... Like, he's so bad. I was talking about it earlier. Like... It's so obvious that the rest of his, the team's carrying him. I feel so bad for, like, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. I feel bad for all those guys. The 49ers also beat the Rams twice this year, which is, I, you would think that that means more than it actually does, but then you look at the Buccaneers last year, how they beat the Saints despite the Saints beating them twice. But the reason I still have the Rams winning is because the Rams have constantly proved that they can win in an ugly game. And I expect this game to be ugly. I'm going with the Rams. I mean, I mean the 49ers also have a lot of injuries, right? They have some key players banged up. With Trent Williams, Jimmy Garoppolo is banged up, Debo Samuel is banged up, and Elijah Mitchell. I think all four of them, maybe not Elijah Mitchell, but I'm pretty sure most of those guys are going to play this week. But the point is they're playing through injury. So that's bad. Trent Williams didn't even practice today. Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm pretty sure, didn't practice. Debo Samuel did practice. He wasn't even on the injury report, but I highly doubt the injury just isn't bothering him. And Elijah Mitchell didn't practice. Those are some key players for this team. Especially Trent Williams. Like, he's a guy that needs to be healthy. Because if he isn't, Von Miller is going to be a problem for Garoppolo. And we all know how bad Garoppolo is, let alone in a in a clean pocket. Like, he's already not great. But when he has to improvise, oh, my God, it, it somehow gets worse. Somehow it gets worse. I, I expect the Rams to win this game. That being said, I think the 49ers have an extremely realistic chance. And, I mean, if the 49ers win, I would love to see a rematch of 49ers Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Like, that, that would be great. But I think it ends in the same outcome of Garoppolo single-handedly losing the 49ers the game. All I know is that whatever whatever team wins in the AFC is the team that I have winning in all. Like, if the Bengals somehow beat the Chiefs, I think the Bengals can beat the Rams. Yeah, the pass rush is going to be a problem, but I, I just think the Rams play too sloppy on offense. 
Anyway, that's all for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. When I come back, the next time you see me, like the Super Bowl matchup is going to be set up. That That's crazy. That is crazy. All right, I'll see you next week.